But on the other side, there was that other voice. Come on, James. You know that God will forgive you. Scripture says it. All you got to do is confess and you'll be forgiven. Do it and then confess and accept the forgiveness that's promised. That conversational exchange took place well into the night and before daylight broke, I had convinced myself to follow the second voice. And I went on to do what I knew was wrong. I went on to deliberately sin. For the longest time, even still some today, I grapple with whether or not God did forgive me, whether or not he would forgive me, and, and, and why should he? I mean, what I did was intentional, purposeful, chosen, an act of defiance and disobedience. But next day, self won. Self-sin, self-walked away from God's instructions, fully counting on the fact that I could come back and be forgiven. But was I? Am I? When I breathe my last breath, stand before God and we talk about that decision that day, will he pardon me? I wonder that. I wonder, have any of you ever wrestled with something similar? Have any of you ever thought, oh, that one specific sin, I wonder if God's going to forgive me for that. That was deliberate. I knew what I was doing. Why, why would he? Why could he? Maybe it was something as simple as stealing that pack of gum from 7-Eleven, right? You knew that it was wrong, yet you still managed to look around and stick it in your pocket and leave. Maybe it was something a little bit bigger. Maybe as a freshman, you took that closed book, take-home exam, open book. Or maybe as a senior, you somehow figured out how to take that exam that would get you into college and get a really good grade on it. Could God really forgive you for that? Maybe this past week, you voted Democrat when you should have voted Republican. Or you voted Republican when you should have voted Democrat. Could God forgive you? All joking aside, perhaps you question God's forgiveness on major issues, maybe past relationships. Maybe when you were at the time, a girlfriend asked you, is there anything else you want to tell me? You didn't tell her. And that girlfriend turned into your fiance, who turned into your wife, who turned into the mother of your kids, who you're now celebrating 10 years of marriage with. And had you told her when she asked if there was more, maybe the relationship wouldn't have worked out. Could God forgive you for that? What about that decision you made? After that one night, you drank too much, and you ended up in his bed. One month later, you saw that plus sign on the little pink stick from the drugstore, a definite positive, and out of the fear and panic of what life would become, out of the terror of how things would change forever, you grabbed that hoodie, you put it up close to your face, over your ears so nobody would recognize you, and you walked to that clinic and you took care of things. Could God really forgive you for that? Maybe you wandered away from the faith for years upon years upon years and, and then came back, yet you still wrestle with whether or not God forgives you for what you did during that season in your life. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. 
Maybe you looked at pornography or are still looking at pornography. Maybe you were or are or are planning on becoming addicted to something. Maybe you've got a foul mouth. Maybe back in 1983 you swore during children's church. Maybe you watched the movies your parents said you shouldn't watch. Maybe, maybe you cursed God himself. Could God really forgive you for that? Have you ever wrestled with questions like that? I know I have. I'm thankful that I'm not the first person to ever wrestle with this. I think the author of the book of Hebrews was addressing some of these forgiveness questions and concerns throughout that entire letter. Our passage from this week speaks directly to the questions of forgiveness. There's a little spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you the ending before I get there. Could God really forgive you? even of your deepest, darkest, most secret sins? Yes. Yes. Yes, he can. He has. It's done. It's more than just covered. It's obliterated, forgiven, and forgotten. Your sin is done. The sin in your past. The sin in your present. The sin you're bound to commit in your future, given, but only in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's see how the author of Hebrews addresses this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. The author writes this, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true place in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the ages to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Sin past, sin present, sin future, forgiven, done, gone, obliterated. Did you see it in the passage? Let's look a little bit closer. First, sin past. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says, Christ has entered. Not one day will enter. He has entered. That's past tense. Verse 26 says, Christ has appeared once and for all. This means that all the sins, all your past sins are forgiven. They are done. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, been offered, past tense. You tracking with me? Sin passed. Done. What about sin present? Passage addresses this also. Verse 24. 
For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. Now, in the Greek, the word is pronounced noon, and it means in the present. It means currently taking place. It means even now. And for those listeners of that letter of Hebrews way back when, this was huge. This was a huge statement for us today, you and me, listeners. This still remains a huge statement. Christ is there now, which means sins present are gone. Verse says Jesus appears now before God or in the presence of God himself. The literal translation of that means he is appearing before God's face. I realize Jesus is Jesus, right? The son of God, he's he's part of the Trinity and all that. But throughout scripture, we are told of the devastatingly awesome experience it is to stand before the face of God. Even the angels that that flank his side in Isaiah 6, 2, shield their face from God's face because it is such an awesome experience. And yet Jesus Christ stands in the presence of God's face now, all the time. And if I were to say, Jesus, why? Why? I think he would say, because your sins now are gone. Sins past. Sins present. Done. Still tracking? I think this passage also touches on the sin we keep struggling with. Maybe these are the ones you question, could God ever forgive you for? Because these are the ones that they keep being an issue. They keep returning. Maybe it's a quick temper. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's addictions. Now hear me on this. I'm not giving you a free pass to keep doing those sins. Paul addresses that in a different letter. But what I am saying is that as you are working on sanctification, on this journey of sanctification, as Christ is working in you, on these continual sins, as you are allowing him to do that work, you don't need to lose sleep thinking, ah, did it again, is God going to forgive me this time? He will. He has. He has already. His work on the cross makes it done. His work on the cross makes it done. Verse 25 in Hebrews chapter 9. And Christ did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the ages to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice at the end of the ages. This appears at first glance to be a good transition to talking about sin's future. You see at the end of verse 26, as it is, Christ has appeared, which is past tense, once and for all, at the end of the ages. At the end of the ages, it seems to me that when I first read this and when I continued to read it, that at the end of the ages would mean when Christ came back and claimed his children as his own. Initially, when I read that, I thought, oh, good, that means then when he comes back, all these things we've done will be forgiven. 
But I think of passages like Isaiah 43, verse 25, where God says, I, yes, I alone will forgive your sins. I will blot out your sins. Oh, bless you. I see the will blot out your sins. I see the will forget them, never think of them again. And I think of future tense. I think of that at the end of the ages. Turns out, though, after doing a little study, at the end of the ages, already happened. It already happened. End of the ages refers to the time of Christ's coming. The first time to the earth to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. The author touches on that at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. You can just listen. He says, and now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Now, the last verse of our passage today does speak of the total forgiveness of sin's future. Verse 28. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. To understand this verse a little bit more deeply, a little basic knowledge of the priestly duties on the Day of Atonement is helpful. On the Day of Atonement ritual, the Old Testament priestly practice was this. The high priest would go into the temple after some preliminary things. He'd go into the Holy of Holies with blood and he'd make atonement for the sins of the people. And then he'd come out and he'd declare to them, your sins have been atoned for. And then, here's the important part, after that, the high priest would go about the business, the practical outworking of the ritual of dealing with the problems in the community that needed to be fixed. He'd address the sins. Let me simplify that a little bit. First, the sins were atoned for by the blood in the Holy of Holies. And then the priest would come out and address or deal or confront the issues. As I read that, I thought, that sounds a little bit like a, a job performance review. That year end, hey, come on in, let's talk about this year. Heath knows what I'm talking about. It's when your boss calls you in and he or she lays out everything you've done this past year hopefully beginning with all the good things you've done, but then listing off all the bad things you've done, and you're just sitting there kind of squirming like, oh, no. Ah. At the end of all that, your boss says, you know what? It's water under the bridge. It's done. It's forgiven. But here's the list of things you need to do to make sure you do it right this next year. You leave that meeting thinking, whew, I think I'm forgiven, but now comes the hard part of doing it right all the time. I realize I'm speculating a bit, but I guess that's how the Israelite people felt on that Day of Atonement after the priest came out and declared that the sins had been atoned for. They may have thought, whew, we've been forgiven, but now here comes the priest to lay the smack down. Now here he comes to address the issues. The interesting thing in this text, in this passage, at the end of verse 28, it tells us that this is not what Jesus is going to do. By his work on the cross, all our sins have been done, forgiven, obliterated, gone. 
According to this passage, the last half of verse 28 says, So Christ will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Will we be waiting? Will we be standing there in full recognition, full acceptance of the fact that Scripture tells us the sins we have been questioning whether or not God could, could, could forgive well, we understand they're gone. Do we accept that fact? Not just believing it up here, but letting it affect everything else. I think that's an important question we need to wrestle with because in the end, when Jesus comes back from his heavenly temple, I think there's going to be three different types of people. First, I think there's going to be those that hear of Christ, that hear of this message, and, and they just they don't want anything to do with it. They're gone. The second type of person, I think, is going to be the type of person who has heard this message, and when they see Jesus appear, they say, wait, wait, wait just a minute. I think I've got one more thing I can do, and then I know you'll forgive me. And the third type of person is those who are going to be eagerly waiting for Jesus, knowing that their junk is, has been, and will be forgiven. It's been paid for by Christ on the cross. Which type of person are you? Do you believe that your stuff, your junk, your sin has been forgiven by the blood of Christ on the cross? Do you believe that? And I'm asking you that seriously. I want you to, I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to let it settle in your heart. I want you to, 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 yes, in your mind, your soul, your whole being, I want you to go home and, and type forgiveness Bible in Google and look up all the verses that it has. And then I want you to allow yourself to really think, do I truly believe that? And if you realize, yeah, I believe it up here, then say, God, I believe, but help me fully believe. Sins past, sins present, sins future. If you believe that, and that story I started with about my sin in high school, or the things that came to your mind when I was talking about if or maybe, then they're gone. They're done. If you truly believe that, it changes everything. I mean, imagine what it would look like if you fully lived into the forgiveness in your own life. Imagine the freedom, the lack of bondage you would feel, the lack of questioning that you'd live in. That would change who you are. Imagine the burden, and this time a very good burden, you'd feel to share this news of complete forgiveness of sins, whatever they may be in and through Jesus Christ to people who don't know about it. Because I know you see those people walking around. They're the ones weighted down. They're the ones being crushed. They're the ones slouching, caving under the weight of, oh, is, is God going to forgive me for that? Oh, imagine the joy if you got to share what you truly believed, that it's gone. And imagine what that would look like if your community believed that. If your city believed that, if our country believed that, imagine what this world would look like if we all realized the significance of the totalness of Christ's forgiveness on the cross. 
Is that enough to bring a smile to your face? What a picture that would be. Sin's past. Sin's present. Sin's future. Forgiven. Done. Gone. Do you believe that? Man, I say, God, help me believe that. God, help you believe that. Because if we do, it'll change everything. Let's pray. God, this is a simple message, a message we have heard before. And yet it is a message we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. Father, you have forgiven us. God, help us believe that. Help us truly live into that. And as we do, Father, give us the passion to go out and share that. This is a message we we can't keep to ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you've given. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The last night Jesus spent with his disciples, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat, for this is my body. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, Jesus says will not drink this wine again until the day I drink it new with you in the kingdom.